The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. I want to start by encouraging you to please subscribe to the show. Every week, new episode, we want to tell you about it. We have some great guests lined up, so please subscribe. I want to give a big shout out to KMRE Radio in Bellingham. Every week, KMRE airs the program and they just increased their wattage, meaning that they're helping us to get our message and our ideas out to even more families. So congratulations, KMRE. As a parent, you're often taught to give consequences for misbehavior. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's effective, and other times you're coming into the same problem again and again and again. Well, today we are talking about collaborative and proactive solutions. It's a new approach to misbehavior that includes working with your child to try to come to an answer together. Our guest is Kim Hopkins of Lives in the Balance. You can learn more about their work by going to livesinthebalance.org. We got into the whole methodology behind this approach. I think you're really going to like it. Check it out. And so why would they not want to do well? Um, life's not going so well for them when they're not doing well. And uh, we don't think that kids wake up in the morning thinking, well, uh, at every fork in the road today, I'm just going to make the bad choice and <laughs> see what happens. Um, so we believe that if they could do well, they would be doing well. And when they're not doing well, we have to figure out what's getting in their way. And we turn to the research, 50 plus nearly 60 years at this point of research that says that uh, kids who exhibit challenging behavior in the face of frustration are lacking skills not to exhibit challenging behavior in the face of frustration. So we focus on lagging skills, uh, which leads to unsolved problems or unmet expectations. So in other words, kids run into problems or expectations, they don't have the skills to meet. So mm -hmm. we see their behavioral signal um, that they're having trouble. And that's what we see it as. It's just a signal that's letting us know they ran into a problem they couldn't solve and they didn't have the skills to solve it. So you talk about collaborative and proactive problem solving. I have another idea I want to pitch to you. Um, say, for example, my child doesn't want to clean their room. I want them to clean it. Uh, they say, no, clean your room or you can't use your tablet today room is clean, done. What's wrong with that? Well, I would say um, if you have to do it once and maybe it works, your kids has the skill, your kid then has the skills to adjust to that request put to them that way, right? What we're talking about are if you have to do that over and over and over again, then the problem is still not solved then taking the tablet away does not solve the problem durably. What it does is it provides some motivation, a quick kind of burst of motivation in the moment that maybe your kid white knuckles it through, um, but then is going to need that again. And how does that transfer to adult life? 
there is nobody, you know, near me with sticks in hand saying, if you don't, you won't get, right? Um, and so what we want to do is focus on helping kids solve problems durably. So you don't have to say stuff like that. Um, that there are there's something getting in the way. They they know the expectation. Your child knows the expectation because you've set it, right? So what is getting in the way of meeting that expectation? Let's dive in there. And what we mean by proactively, let's not dive in when you're asking for the room to be cleaned. Let's dive in a different time when you're not asking for that. That would be proactive when things are calm and figure out what is hard about keeping the room clean. And I would specify that a little bit more so they know what you mean by room clean because um, sometimes kids see it differently than their parents do, right? Um, and if we can work together, partner with our kids to figure out what's hard about that, then we're going to tell them what our worry is in the situation. And then we're going to work together to come up with a solution that is mutually satisfactory and feasible, doable. And then we're going to try it. And if we get that solution working, right, it might not be the first one we come up with, but certainly after a little bit of um, learning from first solutions that might not work and making sure we have all the information on the table, we get a solution that works, the problem is then solved and you don't find yourself having to say, I'm taking away the, the screens. I've always been very reward oriented. I mean, is, are you advising against rewards too? So uh, what we like to say about rewards is that we're not allergic to them. And let's keep in mind that rewards don't teach skills. So you want to reward a kid for doing something that we know they can pull off? Okay, great, that's fine. But it it's nearly impossible to reward a kid into having a skill that they do not have. Um, and so we really strongly urge adults to look at that. What are you rewarding for, right? And as far as the other side of that, the, the stick side of the carrot and stick equation, what consequences teach, teach kids is um, right from wrong, which is important. Our bet is they already know. Like even I talk, I think about my son who's now um, almost seven, but when he was 18 months old, he um, was hitting a lot, screaming a lot, right? And he knew that that was not okay, even at 18 months, because I told him, right? Mm -hmm. But he did it anyway, right? And so if kids are not waking up in the morning thinking at approximately 10, 18 this morning, I am going to throw some food across the room and scream and run mm -hmm. out of the house, and they know that we don't want any of that to happen because we've told them, why is it still happening? It's it. If we're consequencing, we're not getting curious, we're not learning anything about why it's hard to meet the expectation, we're not partnering with our kids. And really what that means is we're driving a little bit of a wedge in that parent-child relationship that's so important um, that when we're doing things like what you described, we call it plan A, when we're doing things that traditional way that we're all taught is, is the way to help kids, right? But when we do that, the downside is that kids work really hard to go underground with what they're doing wrong because they know it's wrong, right? Which means it does not breed honesty, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're going to work. And rather than coming to us for help as their partner, they're trying to avoid us because they see us as the adults that stand between them and everything they like to do. <laughs> My understanding of what you're saying is that a child isn't misbehaving just because they want to. There's some sort of skill they're lacking. And through this method, you're helping them build the skills and become more capable in general. And, and so you're saying the first step is just kind of probe and talk to them about 
what the challenge is or what what's the obstacle here? Yeah, and just to clarify, um, skills teaching is not the focus of the intervention, actually, mm -hmm. which kind of trips people up a little bit. The focus of the intervention is to solve problems. What ends up happening while you're solving problems without you even thinking about it, tons of skill training. Um, and so, yeah, there's three steps to the collaborative and proactive solutions model. The first step being the empathy step, which your goal is to then understand where the kid is coming from, their perspective, what's happening in their brain, right? The next step is um, the define the problem step where the adult shares their concern about the situation. And then the third step is the invitation step where you invite the child to consider uh, solutions that are both realistic, meaning they're feasible, and mutually satisfactory, meaning they meet both sets of concerns, the kids set concerns that you found out in step one, and the adult's concern that you just said in step two. Mm. So when you're asking them about what the obstacles are, what does that look like? Like, let's use my example of the child does not want to clean their room. What, what is that conversation? So when I'm not asking the child to clean the room, I would say, hey, buddy, I noticed that it's been difficult for you to, and I'm going to specify the unsolved problem a little bit, right? It's been difficult for you to make your bed and pick up the dirty clothes off your floor each day. What's up? And then I'm going to see what the kid says. Sometimes kids talk, but when they talk, they don't typically say, well, I'm really glad you asked. Here's what's happening. I'm having trouble organizing my thoughts. And right, they're not going to just lay it all out. So if they talk, they might say something like, I don't like to, which is talking. But the goal of the first step is to fully understand the kid's perspective on this unsolved problem. So I don't like to, it's just surface. It's time to start drilling for information. And we have some free resources on our website that that show you how we like to ask questions. Um, in a curious, non-judgmental way to try to get at the information. You know, things like um, when I, um, when, let's say again, you know that this is supposed to happen by 7 p.m. So, you know, when, when 6.45 rolls around and you realize that you haven't been able to make your bed or pick up your dirty clothes, what do you start thinking? Or what does your brain start telling you? Right, so I might want to, that's one drilling strategy I might want to use. There's lots of ways we like to ask questions, but we're particular because we want to make sure it's neutral and non-judgmental because we're trying to work against that traditional plan A uh, kind of parenting that we're all taught to do, right? Um, so I would, if that that's if the kid would talk, then I'm going to start drilling for information until I fully understand now I get what's happening here, right? Now, if the kid doesn't talk, there's a couple of, of um guidelines we have. Again, I'll refer you to uh, free resources on our website because this could get into great more detail than we have time for right now, but we have lots of different ways to try to get the conversation going. Um, and ultimately, even if your kid is verbal, but they do not have the words to tell you what's going on in the moment, you are the partner. And there's ways that we have, again, on our website for you to take some guesses and get some input from your child. You can take guesses and have them rate on their fingers um, using one for your way off and five um, is totally true and everything in between, right? So there's some different ways that you can gather that information. It is Step one is the hardest step because it takes the longest and sometimes adults like to rush it and it can't be rushed. You really need 
to know what your partner, your child is thinking in the midst of the unsolved problem if you're going to be um, the kind of helper you want to be to them, right? Ultimately, if we're talking about kids who are nonverbal or cognitively delayed, um, you might not be able to get information or feedback from them. And then you have to kind of go with educated guessing and hypothesis testing rooted in the lenses of kids do well if they can. Um, however, we really, we don't like to go there if we don't need to, because um, if you can get some information from the kid, a uh, light bulb might go on. Like, I had no idea you were thinking that. Or yeah. I idea, right? I love that idea of uh, rate this on your hand and I'll just throw some guesses out at you. And it's at least making them think about it. Even if they're not saying exactly the answer, they're at least starting to get their brain on it. It also seems very validating, which everyone wants to feel validated. Yes, great point. This is a very respectful, validating, transparent process. We say, tell kids what you're doing. <laughs> tell them why you're asking these questions. Tell them that you are committing to try to getting away from taking away screens and stuff like that. Tell, tell them that you're trying to understand them in terms of not being intentional with uh, when things don't go well, but that they might not have what they need for things to go well. So you're trying to understand how they think about things and partner with them to come up with a solution that they're going to like too. You're going to like it, but they're going to like it. So then you get into step two, the defining adult concerns step. Why is that important? Because it seems like children aren't very empathetic. Why would they care about your concerns even? Um, well, you know, the beauty of this, they don't actually have to care about your concern. They just have to understand it. Like literally understand the words you're saying. Um, just like, you know, in step one, you might learn that your kid's perspective is not something you really care about. You know, like with my daughter, when she was late for the bus in the morning and it was because she didn't have the right jeans clean, I couldn't really care less about that. And I needed to honor that perspective because I'm going to ask her to honor mine, which is about getting to work on time that she doesn't care about, right? But we don't have to care about it. We do have to just take them both into consideration and honor where the other person is coming from. So yes, and I think I referred to it by the old way, um, which is several years old now earlier. It is called the define adult concern step, not the define the problem step anymore. Just to be more explicit that in one sentence, very quickly, unlike step one, this doesn't take very long, the adult's going to say what their worry is. And what's tricky about this is that sometimes we're tempted to repeat the expectation, like say something like, well, the thing is you need to keep your room clean but that's the expectation. I wanna to speak to my worry when that doesn't happen. And usually what we like to do is boil our worries down to kind of the core, so what, right? Which usually has to do with either health or safety or learning or fairness or a combination of those. And we would think about how the unsolved problem affects the kid. And we could think about how the unsolved problem affects others. So in this example, I might say, um, my worry is, um, I don't want to attract bugs to the house. And um, uh, also, I want to make sure that you, you're, you know, spending your time in a clean, health, healthy environment, that it, that's good for you. I'm worried about health and I'm worried about, um, you know, rodents and bugs. So, um, and that's all I'd say, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. one sentence about that um, pretty quick. So it seems like just thinking of what you want to say is the hard part of that. And then just say it, at least they know. 
And then there's the invitation step, which to me just seems like the problem solving step. What would that look like in this example? Yeah, the hard part about the invitation step is it, it requires some repetition to enter into it, which is like counterintuitive. But if we think about all the skills training that's happening, I really I say to adults, embrace the repetition. So to enter the invitation step, you're going to repeat what the kids said in step one, and you're going to repeat what you just said in step two. We like to say, start out with the words, I wonder if there's a way. I wonder if there's a way for us to take care of the fact that you, and then I'm going to fill in what the kids said, um, that you uh, lose track of time during the day. You don't feel like you have enough time to have fun with your friends. Um, and um, you're not sure where to start when you think about cleaning your room in such a way that we're uh, taking care of with my worry about bugs and rodents and you being in a healthy space. Do you have any ideas? So I wonder if there's a way to take care of, repeat what the kid said in such a way that, repeat what the adult said, and end with, do you have any ideas? We like to give kids first crack at it. Um, for a bunch of reasons, we're trying to get their brains to exercise, right? Um, it's really, it's really interesting and uh, good assessment information of what kids will say in response to that. Um, sometimes kids will come up with a solution and it actually is realistic. You think it's doable. It actually meets both sets of concerns, but you never would have thought of it. Now you got a good brainstormer on your hands. Some kids have no ideas because considering multiple solutions to a problem or brainstorming is one of those skills that the research tells us kids who exhibit these behaviors might not have. Um, sometimes kids have ideas, but they're really unrealistic. So that tells you that they um, didn't do a feasibility test. We <laughs> um, <laughs> weren't able to do that, but you're the partner here, right? And you're not going to pick a solution that you're not okay with, right? We like to say, think of the three steps of CPS. We also call it plan B. Think of the three steps as an airplane. You know, step one, you're taxiing down the runway. Step two, the wheels lift up, you're taking off. Step three is the landing. What feels sometimes uncomfortable to adults at the beginning is that you don't know where that plane is landing. Um, however, you're a co-pilot and you have a say in where it's landing. You know, So um, keeping that in mind. What I appreciate about this conversation is it's ABC. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can try. Give it a try. So the very informative conversation. Uh, drop your website on us one more time. Sure. And I, I just want to give the impression too, it's not, a, it's a simple ingredient list, but it's not necessarily easy. So we have lots of free resources to help with, with understanding this and, and putting it in, into practice in your home. And our website is www.livesinthebalance.org. And there's a section you can go up top, CPS resources, hover over parents, and you'll find all kinds of free stuff. The entire model is free there in video, downloadable format. Um, so take a look and, and be in touch if you have any questions. Also, we have a very big presence on social media, particularly Facebook. There's a parents group called the B Team, got near 90,000 members. Um, lots of help available in there as well. The website is incredibly informative. Kim Hopkins, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you, Kim Hopkins. 
livesinthebalance.org. I highly recommend the website. Thank you for being here today. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.